What's up, guys? In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Goal. This show gives you 10-minute episodes all about soccer legends and the moments that made them. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or a diehard fan, this podcast is a great listen for everyone. The final two episodes are live right now or binge the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? We're going to do this podcast. My name is Solomon Ali, at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. Here joined by Michael Shapiro. Michael, how you doing? Doing well. Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. So I don't feel the need to talk about the bubble. We had Jared Dudley on the podcast like last week. He talked about the bubble. There's been a million articles this week from media inside the bubble to explaining what it's like. The players are leaking stuff on social media about the bubble. I think fans fully understand what the bubble is and what, what's, what it's like. I don't think we really need to talk about it much further. I'm all bubbled out. I think we've had enough bubble coverage. Yeah, you know, I, I think that we're ready to get to the basketball and the scrimmages, you know, has certainly, I think, piqued the interest in these the past few days. And I think that uh, once the regular season starts, I think the main focus won't really be on the, you know, accommodations of the players or how the court looks, but it'll actually be the product itself. Yeah, I think we're finally back into regular season mode. Like the player, the teams are practicing again, the beat writers are writing again, and the podcasters are podcasting again. Like we're back, we're back in business. So let's talk about the Rockets. So before the Rudy Gobert incident, this team was in a bit of an awkward spot. They had just lost four games in a row before finally snapping that losing streak against the Minnesota. Uh, people were starting to question microball again, and then boom, the season gets suspended. So, Michael, take me back to March 11th. What was your overall feel on the Rockets before the stoppage? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't think that those losses were really an indictment on microball. I think it was more an indictment on effort and fatigue in the season. You know, some of those losses against the Knicks, uh, against the Magic, they just looked so listless. It didn't seem like their size was really the issue. Uh, So I think when looking towards the playoffs, you know, I think that the results before that with Robert Covington and P.J. Tucker are encouraging. Uh, But I think those games did go to show that the Rockets' defensive effort isn't always there. There are holes in this defense, especially stopping the ball at the point of attack, right? Sometimes that can get lazy, and that's how the Rockets can get exposed. Uh, but I don't kind of, I don't really think that losing four of their last five really portends any sort of doom for this microball era. See, I, I'm glad I got you to say microball. I see that's catching on. It's becoming the lingo. I, I feel like I did I something. I small ball, but yeah. Yeah, I will. It, it doesn't really matter what you say. It's catching on. It is catching on. I, I hear it all the time now. Uh, this is my greatest accomplishment. I'm pretty happy about this. Um, so I wrote about the Rockets this morning and how I felt about them before the stoppage. Normally, I feel like I can evaluate a team really well 60 games of the season, but this was such a funky season for the Rockets. They start off a little slow in implementing Westbrook. Then they found their groove with Westbrook. He started, he started playing well, but then they ran into injuries with Clint Capella and Eric Gordon. They started Isaiah Hardenstein at center for a little bit before switching to P.J. Tucker full-time. Then they trade Clint Capella for Robert Covington and commit to microball. They start playing really well with a space floor around Westbrook and Harden. They, then they begin to slump. Harden has shooting struggles, and then the season stops. That's a lot of shit to keep track of. They, they felt like, a, like several different teams this year. Like, do you remember half of the stuff? Yeah, it, it's 
kind of odd having to kind of go back through your own archives or other people's archives to kind of see what we thought when it was going on, uh, you know, four months ago, effectively. Um, the Rockets, and you make good points, and they have such highs and lows. You know, I've said, I think that the most high variance team, right, that's going to be in Orlando and that, you know, there's a situation in a scenario where they go out and beat one of the LA teams in a series. There's also a situation where they could drop three straight uh, perhaps in the first round or in the regular season here. So it's really hard to predict Houston. I think that you do have to kind of evaluate them on that small kind of 14 game sample with Robert Covington, both the good and the bad. Uh, Cause some of the things earlier in the season, both offensively and defensively uh, just really don't apply anymore, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And it's weird. I feel like people are taking the Rockets really, really seriously going into the Orlando because it's such a unique situation. Like they feel like the high variance benefits them in this environment. Like, and I I don't, I frankly don't feel the same way, but every national media guy you talk to, they talk, they speak very highly of the Rockets. Like the Rockets are the fourth highest betting odds in, in Bovado right now. Like that, that's, that's the thing. They're plus 1,200. People really, really expect them to make a deep playoff run inside this bubble. And I, I, I guess it's, it's going back to the variants. I guess it's going back to the micro bowl. I guess they expect uh, the Rockets to surprise some teams. I don't feel the same way, but have you heard some of that chatter? Yeah, and, and I don't necessarily think it's all that unfair, really, all that surprising, more importantly. You know, I just think the Rockets, you know, having two former MVPs, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden. We can debate where Russell Westbrook falls currently among the top players in the league. Uh, but those are two true superstars where the other non-Los Angeles teams in the West uh, have had better seasons, arguably. But then again, you know, the Rockets are six in the West, right? But they are a game out of fourth, for instance. So uh, kind of looking at the standings doesn't tell the whole story. Um, I think the fair expectation for Houston, you know, is I think they should be favored regardless of their opponent in round one. I guess people might quibble with that. Uh, and then they're pretty significant underdogs against either LA team. So I think people think the Rockets are interesting because their two superstars could theoretically, you know, get hot and go past one of these Los Angeles teams. But I think assuming that's going to actually happen is, is pretty far-fetched in my opinion. So we, we just talked about a minute ago how the Rockets have been so high variance and how they've been really up and down and several different teams up in one season. So I decided to take the data we collected on them playing microball and I crunched the numbers, which basically means I took away that Portland game where Clint Capella played like 17 minutes. And I came away with them being 12 and six. And that, that's essentially a 54-1 basketball team when you extrapolate that out. So that's about third or fourth in the Western Conference, which is traditionally a low-end title contender. It's like like 54 wins is the floor. Like that's the baseline you need to be to be considered a title contender. Uh, and they have a plus 3.3 net rating. That tracks with their record pretty well. That's the seventh best net rating in basketball. It's higher than the Jazz. It's higher than Nuggets. It's higher than the Heat. It's higher than the Thunder. But it's lower than six other teams, including the Mavericks. So I would characterize them as a lower tier title contender right now. Do you think I'm being fair or do you think I'm being too harsh? No, that, that's pretty much perfectly fair. I phrase it as fringe finals contender, right? In that, you know, most people will be pretty shocked, including myself, if a non-Los Angeles team made the finals out of the West, right? But again, once you drop off that top two, you know, it's kind of a fun parlor game to kind of try to pick which of those teams is the best equipped to make it onto the finals. I think it's Houston. I think it might be because the other teams have lower ceilings or warts about them that kind of make it uh, so they're not title contenders. You know, you mentioned Dallas and it, they're certainly a situation where they, it just, they might be a year away from actually contending. Right. So uh, 
it's a flawed group after the Los Angeles teams. The Rockets are flawed, but the Rockets are certainly talented on the right night. We've seen them play both the Clippers uh, and the Lakers pretty tough, although uh, the most recent matchup against the Clippers was really, really ugly uh, right before the shutdown. Dallas is insane. Like, they have the highest offensive rating in NBA history right now. I don't know what to make of them. Everybody talks about how they're one year away. I generally agree. But at the same time, if you look at objectively, if you take their numbers out of it, take the team away, take, pretend you've never seen this team before, pretend you're an aliens coming down on Earth looking at their data, and they profile as a lower-tier title contender. And I, I don't think people are talking about them that way. Like, they're a plus 5.8. That's a really, really freaking good team. Um, but again, and, and they have Rick Carlisle as their coach and, and we're, we're talking about them as if they're just, you know, if they're bound to lose by the second round and I understand why we're doing it, but, but at the same time, I still don't know if I, if I have an idea where Dallas is going to land in the playoffs this year. Like, like there are, there have been bigger upsets, I would say. Yeah. I mean, they have, you know, the set, the best second year player in NBA history, you know, by, by most metrics, you know, better than LeBron James and Luka Doncic. And that certainly raises their ceiling a fair amount. I think the big reason why people aren't talking about them is right now they're the seventh seed, right? And that, that, you know, they're not going to beat the Clippers. I'm sorry. I know that, you know, Luka Doncic is amazing and, and Rick Carlisle is obviously a championship coach, but they're not going to beat the Clippers. But I do think it's a little under talked about their what one and a half games back of Houston, which means they're also one and a half games back of the thunder and two and a half of Utah. There's a scenario where they could certainly jump up to six, right? And if they're playing Denver, for instance, the first round, uh, the nuggets are certainly pretty worried to play Dallas. So, you know, I certainly would group the Mavericks in the, you know, the non Los Angeles teams pool uh, again, which I'm, I'm sorry to keep bringing it up. And it kind of makes the West a little less interesting until the conference finals. I just think anyone who plays the Lakers or the Clippers at this point doesn't have much of a shot regardless of, of who they have. Oh, so let me ask you about this. So I agree with you on the Clippers wholeheartedly. Like they're my team to win the title this year. I've been really high on the Clippers uh, okay. since the beginning of training camp. Like they're, they're my team right now. I'm, I don't feel the same way about the Lakers. I, I, I felt that at the beginning of the season, uh, the, the season played out. They, they proved themselves to be a really, really freaking good team. Like they were awesome defensively. Uh, offensively, they managed to put it together without really any strong point guard there. Like they, they auditioned for uh, fringe NBA guards midseason. And like, I understand why we should take them seriously. I understand that the numbers say we should take them seriously, but you look at the, the warts on their roster, particularly on the back end of it. Like if you really look at the roster, we're really talking about four guys there that we have a high degree of faith in. Like we're talking about Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Danny green. And after that, there, 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 there starts to become a drop and it's really hard to really buy in on them. And then they lost Avery Bradley and Ray John Rondo. And what people may say, you know, people have a lot to say about Rondo, right? Rondo has not been the most helpful basketball player over the last few years, but he has soaked up a ton of minutes for the Lakers. He's 10th on, on, in minutes on their team. Uh, Avery Bradley is 7th. We know he can be a, good, a helpful basketball player. So you're talking about the, the, the few good role players they had being decimated before the playoffs. Now, Rondo will come back. He'll probably be back by the second round. Oh, we don't know how he's going to look by then. Uh, Avery Bradley, again, that's a significant loss. Why, why should I, I continue to buy on the Lakers? Is it just that they played so well in the regular season and they have LeBron James and they have Anthony Davis that we have to take them seriously? Or is it, is it, something, is it something else? Is it just an innate faith that everything will work itself out in Los Angeles? I think that, 
your kind of skepticism is more fair if you're saying, if you're kind of breaking down a Lakers versus Clippers matchup, right, where you're providing the reasons why the Clippers are the superior team with superior depth. And, and I think those are all pretty valid. I probably agree with you, but I don't think that really any fringe rotational losses that the Lakers will suffer, even if they have additional losses uh, in the rotation are really going to make a difference against any other non Clippers team in the West. In my opinion, I just think that uh, LeBron James seems to be rested, healthy and, and spectacular. And the, and the same things with Anthony Davis. Um, I'll put it to you which of these teams in the West or are there multiple that you could really see beating the Lakers outside of the Clippers? How about the team we were covering the Rockets? Like I, I really do think the Rockets can beat the Lakers. The, the Rockets have, it, it's an interesting question, right? Are the Rockets better equipped to play the Clippers or the Lakers? I, I'd probably lean toward the Lakers, right? And that it's better for them to go up against some weird opposite of themselves and a better version of the Clippers, right? When the Clippers like to downsize. Then again, I think that the most recent matchup we saw where, where the Lakers played down here in Houston, uh, LeBron and the bigs just steamrolled people. You know, they, uh, you know, would lure uh, Ben McElmore into a lot of switches. You know, they would kind of exploit teams on the perimeter. Now, I guess the Covington uh, addition, I don't believe he was on the floor in that game, you know, might make a big difference. But I just think the sheer size of the Lakers would, would be just too overwhelming, especially when you're going against LeBron and Anthony Davis. You know, it's not just LeBron and a bunch of bigs. I think that Anthony Davis is a very skilled one as well. Uh, and the Rockets have defended him well, fair, but I just think that's too much talent. Um, I would agree, though, that it's probably the Rockets of the non-Clippers teams to beat the Lakers. I, I still would say the Rockets are significant underdogs in that matchup. Our sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. On the entertainment side, Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team to bring you a brand new segment, The Ice is Right. Floyd talks about all his jewelry and gives you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling to win some great prizes. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. And remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. You make a fair point. Uh, the Rockets did not fare well against in their last matchup against the Lakers. And I do have a high degree of faith in obviously LeBron James. But more importantly, like Frank Vogel has been a really freaking good playoff coach in the Eastern Conference and does not get enough credit for it. Like he is one of the coaches in the Eastern Conference that I, I, I never understood why he didn't get hired right away when he, when he got out of there in Orlando. Like he's just such a solid coach, puts, finds a way to implement defensive principles onto his teams right away in training camp. They always end up being good defensively. So I, I, that's a coach I have a high degree of faith in. Um, I don't know. It, it, for me, I, I guess it's just a supporting cast, really. Like the, the supporting cast and the weirdness of that roster, the way that th- they haven't really had quality shooting on the, on their roster up until really they added J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters, and we're, we're really not sure if those two are going to play very much. Like it, it's just the, the the roster is just weird. Like the, they depend a lot on these centers. They have they have a lot of quality centers. Don't get me wrong. Like Javale and Dwight. Like hey. D- take this for what you will. They have played really, really well this season. Those guys are really good contributors for that team. Um, And it's just not a 2020 title contender that you would picture, right? Like if you're, if you're talking, 
Yeah, if you're talking about like what teams you would expect to be really, really good in the year 2020, the Lakers are not one of those teams, and yet they have been one of those teams. Yeah, I mean, you you think of 2020 title teams, you don't think of Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, Deion Waiters, J.R. Smith, right? Maybe, maybe in 2016 you're thinking about a little more. Uh, it's certainly weird, and, and I don't disagree that it's not like Rockets-Lakers would be an uninteresting series at all. I don't want people to think that I would think it's a sweep or even five games. I think the Rockets would play them tough. Uh, I ultimately would not pick the Rockets in that series. Um, but I think you, you get to the idea that the Rockets have kind of a, a strange, wacky rotation. They have superstar upside. And those things kind of paired together do make for the most interesting of the non-Los Angeles title contenders. I don't really think there's, there's a real doubt about that. You know, in the East, I think there are a couple teams that could challenge uh, Milwaukee, you know, and, and Boston and Toronto. I think the Rockets in the West kind of meet that same kind of idea. Maybe a little less so because I think the Los Angeles teams are less vulnerable than the Bucks, right? But I think the Rockets deserve to be in that top kind of five, six teams in the NBA right now entering Orlando. So let's talk about the Rockets for a second. So we have now gotten a chance to interview the players for two weeks straight, a very training camp kind of vibe. Like I feel like I'm in training camp again. Uh, first of all, selfishly, I'm really glad the league did it this way so we can continue to interview players and coaches and write stories as we choose. I was a little worried that the access would be restricted to strictly media inside the bubble, and I'm glad that's not the case. Uh, and second of all, what has been your biggest takeaway from the first two weeks of media? Like, has anything stood out at you or surprised you? Well, we'll I'll start by saying it's it's been very smooth, and I'm actually uh, uh, you know very thankful and happy about that. As you said, you know they have been very little issues, you know, guy coach rolls up, he cracks some jokes, talks to us for about 10 minutes. Then some player rolls through on the camera. It's actually pretty convenient. I'm pretty impressed at the NBA's uh, ability to pull that off, which is nice. And in terms of my thoughts on the training camp, you know, the team seems pretty locked in, pretty ready to go. And it seems that most importantly, despite the late arrival of their two MVPs, right. Both guys seem to hit the ground running. Uh, ben McElmore said same old James after James Harden's first practice, James was kind of, uh, wowed by Russell Westbrook in his first practice. And uh, we knew Russell was kind of joking when he said, I can barely make a layup at this point. But uh, so, you know, both guys have hit the ground running. If both of those guys are at full speed, uh, it seems as though the rest of the roster is looking good. Eric Gordon is reportedly feeling good, which is a big deal, I think, for the Rockets. Um, nothing but, but positive vibes, you know, despite the guys showing up late, it seems that all is well, uh, I think, in Rockets land. Yeah, the biggest takeaway for me is that everybody seems to be in pretty good shape from everything we hear from the players and coaches. Like, that was definitely something I wondered about because of the four-month layoff and not every player had access to a gym. Uh, so if you're a Rockets fan, I guess that's reassuring. Um, it, 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 was, it was entertaining to see. Like, do you remember a couple of days ago when we were interviewing the players and Austin Rivers was getting distracted during our interview? I, I didn't really have any idea what was going on. And we found out later that James Harden was behind the camera urging Austin to hurry up so they can get to practice. And then afterwards, like, I, I, re I genuinely had no idea what was going on. I thought Daniel House was bad at us. Like, I thought he was bad that he had to do it media, and he was just giving these one or two sentence answers, and he was trying to get the hell out of there. Turns out James Harden was in the back applying the peer pressure to these players, trying to get them out of there. I thought that was entertaining. I thought it was funny. You know, I think it shows that James is often like that. You know, when he, when he arrives, he's ready to get going and ready to roll. And you, you mentioned the training camp vibe. It's kind of how it feels. It seems as though the players are are pretty loose and enjoying themselves in the bubble. I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's gone very, very strangely smoothly. You know, I think it's uh, as, as 
things aren't really so outside of the bubble. It seems in the NBA bubble, the NBA has kind of manufactured a, a real positive environment, which is what you want to see. Have you watched any of these scrimmages on TV? Yeah, I've, I've been watching them a little bit. Uh, I was going to ask, I was going to bring up, what do you think about the television products? How do you think it looks? So I was never worried about how it would be for the players. Uh, I said this on the last week's podcast. Like I, I, I thought the players would adjust pretty fine. Like they've played several games throughout their lives without, uh, without fans. That was never a real issue to me. I was always worried about the television product. And to me, like, it's not bad. Like now I think we're quickly realizing that commentating is going to play a bigger role than we thought it would. Like the quality of the play-by-play guy and the color guy has to be on point. I think it's interesting how the NBA is still trying to maintain like a home team and road team kind of vibe and it, with the in-arena music. And I, I don't think it's working, but I do appreciate the amb- the ambiance. It, it helps it feel like an NBA sanctioned game and not an, not an AAU game. I am curious to see if the league tries experimenting with pumping in crowd noise, or maybe they have already, and they they thought it felt too cheesy and inauthentic, and they chose to do away with it. Who knows? What they choose to do with these speakers is something to monitor for me. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting setup, and I think it's better than I thought. It kind of reminds me, the way the court looks is kind of like a European basketball, and then the, the way they use the fans is kind of like a 2K kind of thing, so it's kind of taking from things we're vaguely familiar with, I feel like. And, and it looks nice on television. I think the kind of virtual fans is a little strange, but I think with anything that we're kind of going to get used to it, um, you know, I think that sooner than later, we're just going to focus on the basketball as we said at the top. So it's pretty, pretty solid television product. I think you make a good point in that the announcers uh, and the commentators, you know, they're a little more important. And sometimes if you have a guy who kind of grinds your gears a little bit, maybe you'll get a little riled up. But I think all in all, you know, considering the, the hand that you're dealt right and, and that they started from scratch and I had no idea how they would finish the season uh this is pretty encouraging and it seems like you know with no positive tests in the past week they got the television product down the you know kind of shuttling for teams all the media it seems that everything's kind of ready to dive right into basketball here next week I'll say this like I'm 99% certain that in mid-August I'm gonna wake up to squeaking shoes in the middle of the night like it, 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 it's it's getting it, that that right that part might be a little annoying like as we get closer and closer to regular season play i hope the nba tries to quiet that down uh because we really don't need to hear all these shoes uh but it it does kind of remind you of of kind of an aau vibe and i do think one part of the court that's really throwing me off is uh behind the backboard that little area is just so it's it's so big it, like it, it scares me because if a player crashes into that area in a regular sanctioned game, they're crashing into the crowd. They're going to fall safely. If they crash into that and like, there's just nothing there. I'm, I'm, I'm always like, constantly worried about injuries. Like with these players, like that, that area behind the basket, it just seems too big for comfort for me. Yeah. I mean, even if it would be better if they just kind of cleared the whole area out, right. So players could just kind of run through instead of having to dodge anything, but or just put yeah. some padding down or something. Yeah. Yeah, some, some nice little padded walls like uh, like an elementary school gym or something like that would be nice, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a good setup. I, I don't doesn't seem like the players are too concerned with it, which I guess at the end of the day is what you want because you want them to be able to play as though it's a normal game. And, you know, watching these scrimmages, it, guys are actually pretty, playing at a pretty solid level. I was watching the Lakers earlier, um, and they, at least in the first half, when LeBron and AD were playing, looked, looked to be in midseason form. So that was good to see. 
Yeah, I would hate to be like a 40% three-point shooter going to these media availabilities because every other question is going to be about depth perception and like how every media guy that's somewhat held a basketball before is asking these questions. Like it's like it, I, that would get a little annoying to me, right? Like if I for one of these players. Everyone thinks they're a shooting coach all of a sudden, exactly. Right. Now, with that being said, the Rockets play their first exhibition game tomorrow, or I guess technically today for the people listening. What's one thing you, you want to watch in the preseason? I want to see how Eric Gordon looks. You know, he. You had, took mine. You took mine. Yeah, go I'm, ahead. I'm sorry about that. I'll, uh, uh, I'll, I'll be brief here. You know, he has, he's in the midst of the worst year of his career, shooting 37% from the field. He missed 22 games early in the season due to knee surgery. He battled shin injuries, ankle injuries. Uh, but now he seems that these months off have really you know, been beneficial for him. He says he's feeling good. Both Daryl and Mike D'Antoni kind of pointed out over media availabilities that they like how he looks. You know, if Eric Gordon is kind of light on his feet, shooting well, looking similar to that kind of 2018 and 2019 playoff version, uh, the Rockets become more dangerous in a matchup against the Lakers, like you said, or a matchup uh, even in the first round. I think if he's looking good, uh, you feel a lot more confident in this team. Yeah, this was by far Eric Gordon's worst year with the Rockets. Like he shot below 32% from three-point range, and he's a career 37% three-point shooter. His defense wasn't great at the beginning of the year, and he's generally been really up and down. He had that surgery midseason. Um, for the Rockets to reach their their full potential, they need Eric Gordon to be at his best. Like microball doesn't work in the same way without him. Like, they decide to play this way with him in mind. Like, they need his slashing, they need his shooting, they need his ball handling, and they need his floor spacing. It doesn't really matter who starts for Eric Gordon. For Houston, Eric Gordon's going to be one of their five most important players. Like, he's going to be part of their crunch time five. Houston's best lineup in theory is Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Eric Gordon, Robert Covington, and P.J. Tucker. That lineup's only played together about, let me see, 10 minutes and they're a negative 6.4 uh, per one of your possessions. Like again, they, they've only pretty much only had one opportunity to try this that last game before oh, the break. That's um, very interesting. Yeah. Right. Like th- that's a lineup I badly want to see because if it doesn't work, I think they just load up on defense and play Daniel house, Robert Covington and PJ Tucker at three or four and five instead, uh, because Robert Covington has really afforded them some lineup flexibility, but You'd want the former lineup to be what they what they roll out there with because I think that has the best ceiling. Right. That's that's kind of like, you know, part of the, the use of the phrase. That would be the Rockets death lineup, so to speak, right? And that you would have uh, five four spacers, plenty of scoring threats and shooting threats, uh, and, and you would be a little undersized. You know, I think an interesting point here is like going into these playoffs. I feel like we kind of know what the Rockets are defensively, at least a little bit. You know, they're going to try to cause a lot of turnovers. They're going to scramble. You know, they're going to switch everything. They're going to struggle to kind of contain the point of attack at times, uh, which is why Robert Covington becomes so valuable. I think there's a lot of strange offensive variants. You know, is this team going to face traps? Is James Harden going to be successful without a true uh, kind of rim runner alongside him? How will Eric Gordon play? It's kind of odd when you talk about the Rockets, talking about concern with their offensive performance and the various night to night and that I think is kind of interesting yeah and, and at the same time we know what this what's going to take this team to the next level uh, it's their defense right like we know that they're going to reach heights on offense that only a couple of teams in the NBA can reach right we're talking about like the Lakers the, the Mavericks the Bucks like there's only a couple of teams you know the Clippers there's only, there's only a few teams that can match what the Rockets can do offensively defensively they really need to, need to take it to the next level and I wonder how how sharp their switching looks 
Uh, obviously, in preseason, it's going to be a little sloppy. It's their first time playing a sanctioned basketball game by the NBA uh, in four months. So that, that's going to take some time to adjust. But in the regular season and the beginning of the postseason, I want to see how, how sharp their switching is. Because again, we know, like we know they're going to be awesome offensively. That's not a question. That's not a question we have about this Rockets team. Well, we, the questions we have about this Rockets team are strictly on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah. And, and I do have faith in their, you know, new makeshift front line. You know, I think that Tucker and Covington together form a really, really dynamic duo. And they know they're, their net rating together was solid. It was not dominant, but they really wreaked havoc, uh, created a lot of turnovers and against good teams against Boston and Los Angeles. Uh, they were both pretty dominant down low, making uh, impressive, impressive weak side plays, really locking teams down inside. Uh, I, I think the Covington for Capella swap at, at the time, I, I think a lot of people were kind of skeptical and raised their eyebrows, but I think that Daryl has no, no regrets about his decision, rightly so. I think Covington uh, is really a key swing player for the Rockets, and I think he's just so, so valuable, you know, not just for this year, uh, but moving forward with the roster they want to kind of have. You mentioned the flexibility. He's, he's pretty outstanding defensively. You know, he's an all-defense player a couple of years ago. He could very well be an all-defense player next year, uh, and he's a pretty solid shooter as well. So I, I think the addition of Covington – raises the rocket ceiling and you did just express defensive skepticism. Uh, but I have some faith with Covington in the fold. They're going to be all right. Um, listen, man, like everybody views this micro ball era as a experiment. And the only people that don't do it that way are the Rockets themselves. Like they, 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 they view this as something they're going to do long-term. Like they're, they're going to play this way next year. So the signings they make in the summer are going to be adept to playing this way. Like they're not, they're not going to, they're not going to change gears at any time soon. Like this has nothing to do with Mike D'Antoni. This has nothing to do with Russell Westbrook. This has, this has everything to do with how they want to play moving forward. And uh, you're right. Like Robert Covington has allowed them to do some things defensively that they never were able to do. I mean, I, I had no idea that Robert Covington blocked shots the way he could um, before he played, he moved down to power forward, right? Like it's a, it's a skill set that he never, I don't think he even knew he had uh, until he had to play uh, down a bigger position. It, it is crazy that um, he, he was averaging like what, like a block and a half per game for like a few, for like, six games there. I, I, I have no idea yeah. how many blocks he accumulated down the stretch of the season, but he was just a monster. But yeah, I mean, it, it is one of those things where I think the general public views it as an experiment. They don't. Yeah. And that's a really good point actually. And, and Covington in the 14 games, he was with the Rockets uh, third most blocks in the league. He was only behind Hassan Whiteside and Miles Turner. So that shows you just kind of how prolific as a weak side defender he was, you know, he made some spectacular plays against Boston, had a nice block on Anthony Davis uh, in some pretty big moments. And it's interesting because someone did ask me the other day, they said, do you think that if the Rockets get bounced in round one or round two, are they going to go some, you know, trade for some center, try to sign some center? I just kind of scoffed at the idea, you know, I think that that kind of regression makes no sense. You know, as long as it's, it's Daryl Morey as the general manager, uh, I can't really see the Rockets kind of punting on this idea, especially when you see what it's done for Russell Westbrook. I, I know James Harden went into a shooting slump. I understand that it's not so beneficial for him not to have a true rim runner. You know, he kind of likes that two man game with Capella a lot. Um, but I don't think that his shooting struggles were directly related to that change. You know, I, I think that, wholeheartedly it was the right move for Houston and you know it might not result in the championship it, it probably won't you know to be honest but I still think it was a worthwhile decision for this year and the coming years once you made that Westbrook trade 
Yeah, it's one of those things where we won't know until we see it, right? Like this is this has never been done before. It's 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 literally it's quite like people say that all the time, but this has quite literally never been done before. And again, people view this as as something short term. Like they just signed David Nwaba to a two year deal, and he's out for the fir- for the first year with an Achilles injury, and and they cut the other playable center they had on their team. It's it's so jarring, right? Because you know, I I acknowledge and I think I understand, right, that they are so dedicated to, to this small ball experiment, right, or micro ball, if you will. But when they cut Isaiah Hardenstein, I, I was still kind of surprised. Like I understand that you have this dedication to it, and and this is the way you're going to play. But it's funny that they didn't even want to keep a break, in, you know, in case of emergency center, right? You know, they they didn't even think that that would be an idea that's valuable to them. Uh, which really shows the dedication to to the idea. And I guess that that makes sense because why keep a body that you're really not going to play at all? And it's not like Isaiah Hartenstein is, is God's gift to basketball, although he does have some offensive talent. Uh, but even, even as someone who covers the Rockets, it was still kind of shocking to see them cut literally their only playable center, all due respect to Tyson Chandler. Yeah. Uh, listen, I'm optimistic Isaiah Hartenstein will find a spot in the NBA. I'm still really – I'm still really high on his talent. I think I think he'll be an NBA player. Um, but yeah, the, the, she just doesn't fit. Like the, the Rockets made a calculated decision there uh, in deciding what they want to be moving forward, and I think they made it midseason. I think that if if they try saying that they've they've been thinking about this for a while, I don't think so. I think they they came together midseason. They saw what they were doing with Clint Capella hurt. They they realized it was working. They realized like with Westbrook on the floor they really can't afford to have another non-shooter on out there and they, they should best space the floor out as much as you possibly can. And they, they decided like, this is the, this is the way we should, we have to play. And yeah, it's, it, it's been fascinating. It's been, it's been fascinating. Um, I want to see how it works in the playoffs. Um, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people follow you on Twitter and read your work? Yeah, you can follow me at, mshap2 on Twitter uh, and you can find my site Inside the Rockets at si.com slash NBA slash Rockets. Thank you so much, man. Of course. Thank you. All right, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you give us five stars on iTunes if you enjoy the show. And yeah, guys, good night.